Thank you. You may be seated. This is where God wants us to be. God wants us to be near his throne. He wants to be near his heart. He wants us to have the priority of worship. You know, in growing up, my dad was famous in our household for saying one particular thing, and I wish my mom was here because she would already probably know what I was going to say, but dad would say, we need to get our priorities straight around here. Now, if you grew up in the Holloway household, or especially the Charles B. Holloway household, what get your priorities straight or get our priorities straight meant was, Kathy, you and Stu need to want to do what I want to do. That was getting your priorities straight in our household. Dad had a a way of, of commanding the house and... I can chuckle about my dad's things about that, and Mom and I still, from time to time, there's something that we need to get done, and we'll say, well, we need to get our priorities straight, I guess. I chuckle about my dad saying that kind of thing, but you know, when I think about worship, and I think about my heavenly dad, when my heavenly dad says, you need to get your priorities straight, he means you need to do what I want to do. You need to want what I want. And it's perfectly fine for him to demand that, isn't it? He's our Heavenly Father. He is God. The priority of worship is central to the heart of God. We will see this morning that we were created to worship, that we are designed to help other people worship, and that we will always worship. God's top priority is for his creation to worship him. The priority of worship is rooted in the identity. It's rooted in the nature. It's rooted in the character of God. God declares to all of us and to all of his creation, worship me. Now, some people would say, well, that's rather arrogant. How can God say, worship me? What right does he have to do that? Well, I would suppose... That if God were a created being like you or me, that it would be rather arrogant for him to say, worship me. Because he would be putting on his pants one leg at a time, just as we do. But you see, God's not a created being. He is God. He created us. You know, it's... It's rather arrogant for a little or a big handmade idol to declare, worship me. Because somebody somewhere sat down with some carving tools or a mold and crafted that idol or crafted that God. And while they were doing their idol crafting, they may have just decided it was time for lunch and then gone into the kitchen and made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, ate that, and then gone back to their idol making. Are we supposed to bow down to the peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the same way we bow down to their idol? No. That's why it is so ridiculous for anything in all of creation to say, worship me except Almighty God. Because God is God. We did not make him God. He always has been God. He is God. And he always will be God. There's just one. And he says, we are to worship him. 
Since God is the only true God, he is there the, therefore the only one deserving of our worship. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel had uh, journeyed through the wilderness for uh, the 40 years. That first rebellious generation had died away. And the new generation was preparing to go into the promised land. And so Moses stood before the children of Israel, these new children and grandchildren of the original group that had been in Egypt. And he declares to them the law again. And in the midst of repeating the Ten Commandments, in Deuteronomy chapter 5... Moses tells the people, you shall not bow down to the foreign gods or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, God is serious about being the focus of worship. God told the children of Israel then, he would tell them again and again and again, have nothing to do with these foreign idols because I am the only one worthy of worship. I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. I'm the one who helped you cross the Red Sea. I'm the one who is giving this land to you. God is serious about being the center of worship. God does not need to do or say anything to commend our worship. You know something? God's very being demands our worship. When you look at Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in that throne room of God. He comes into that throne room of God and he sees the seraphim and, and the cherubim and they're worshiping God. And he hears them saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah sees them there. God doesn't say anything or do anything. And Isaiah falls on his face before God and he says, woe is me. You know something? I think if Jesus were in here today and you and I saw him face to face, we wouldn't, he wouldn't have to do or say anything. And all of us would fall on our faces before him. We would repent of our sins. We would focus upon him in worship. And it would be a worship service like First Baptist Church Pineville and probably no other church in the world has ever had before. Because we would be in the presence of the King. God has every right to declare that we worship Him. Worship is His top priority. But do you realize that worship is to be our top priority as well? Our top priority as individuals and our top priority as a church. This morning we began a class called Great Expectations, and that's our new members class. And we call it Great Expectations because we have great expectations of our new members, and our new members have great expectations of our church. And in that class, one of the weeks I talk about the fact that worship is the first purpose of the church. That worship is the first priority of the church, and everything else comes after that. You say, well... We don't do evangelism and missions? Absolutely. But evangelism and missions grow out of our worship. They're right on the heels of worship. It works like this. Our first priority as believers, and that's who the church itself is made up of, believers, is to truly worship God. And when we truly worship God, then we can't help but serve Him. We can't help but evangelize. We can't help but tell people about Him. 
We see that in Isaiah 6 as well. Isaiah comes to the throne room of God. He falls upon his face. He says, woe is me. I live in a, I am a man of unclean lips. I live in a, among a people of unclean lips. And then God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. You see, when you come into the throne room of God and when you worship Almighty God as He really is and you see Himself and you see what greatness there is in Him, then you want to tell somebody else about that. You want to go share that good news with somebody. And you want to help them to worship. When we have true communion with God, then we can help God's priority and vision to come forward where He says that He wants to see every knee bow and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is the Lord. God's priority is that all of creation would worship him. And when we worship him. And when we make his worship of him our first priority. Then all of the evangelism and missions comes along that helps the rest of the world to worship him. That's God's priority. Worship. So we should ask how can we align ourselves with this priority of worship. I want to give you three ways this morning. First, we can align ourselves with God's priority of worship by realizing that we were created to worship. We were created to worship. The Bible has many references to this fact. Time and time again, the Bible says that God created all things for his glory. God created things for the sake of his name. God created things so that they may worship him. For the sake of time... Let's encounter just one passage together, Isaiah chapter 43. Now, we won't read the entire chapter. We don't have time to do that. But we do want to look at three or four verses which speak to this. God here in Isaiah 43 is describing himself as Israel's only Savior, the one to whom Israel should look for and look towards. And he says in this, That he will continue to be faithful to the people even though they will continue to disobey disobey him. And then tucked within this beautiful chapter of God's commitment to the people, he gives them the reason that they were created. In verse 7, the end of verse 6, end of verse 7, we read God saying, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, and here it is, whom I created for my glory. I created them for my glory. Over in verse uh, 20 and 21, we read, The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Here it is again. The people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. We are created To worship God. You see, God didn't just get bored one day in eternity and say, you know, I have colossal cosmic powers. I think I will create a world just for the fun of it. And so he said, let there be light. And there was light. Then he said, this is kind of boring. We need something else around here. Uh, uh, Maybe we've separated sky. We need some, uh, uh, what do we need? Some sky. There's light, but there needs to be blue sky. And so there was a sky. He separated the waters. And then God said, 
but there's just too much water around here. This is boring. I mean, all I can do is fly or swim. I think I want some land. And so he made the dry land appear. And then he said, oh, the water's too boring in the sky, so I need some stuff in there. So he's got fish in the sea and birds. God didn't just go through the seven days of creation bored stiff and just creating stuff for his amusement and entertainment. God created us so that we might worship him. God created all of the things of the earth to help us know that there is a creator and to help us go towards him and to want to worship him. Isaiah 61 verse 3 describes God's people as stately oaks. It says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Here in Louisiana, we understand the image of a stately oak, don't we? I grew up on the LSUA campus, and there are stately oaks on the LSUA campus. I grew up driving my, my, riding my bike or driving my go-kart by those trees and climbing on those, those stately oaks that have over a hundred years of history. If those oaks could talk, they could tell us about the days when that was a plantation, And then they could tell us about the last 50 years of LSUA and they could talk about some little kids that climbed on their branches who they wish they'd get off. Oaks inspire all. They cause us to say, wow. And God says that's what we're supposed to be to the people of the world. Plantings of righteousness, oaks that people look at and they say, wow, look at what God has brought them through. Wow, look at, look at what God has done in their life. My goodness, look, look how God has shaped them. Look how far they can reach. And look how they can weather the storms that life throw their way. We are to be that planting of the Lord for the display of His righteousness. We were created to praise God and to invoke praise of God from other people. We were created to worship. We need to remember that. And anything else we do comes second to our priority of worship because we were created to worship. Now, second, we can align ourselves with God's priority of worship by participating in worship. Just as the Bible declares that we were created to worship God, it encourages us to participate in the worship for which we were created. And you might guess we'd go to the Psalms for this, and I'm just going to show them on the screen for you this morning. Four Psalms that I want us to consider. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. In the Psalms you don't read, uh, if you want to, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. If you're not doing anything, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. No, it says, it's a command. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And the idea is that how can you not? Because He is holy. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Let us... Bow down in worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. When was the last time we knelt in worship? There's not room in the pews to kneel, but when was the last time you knelt 
in worship. When you really fell down on your face before God. Another psalm. Psalm 96 verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Wow. Tremble before him all the earth. Now I know what a friend we have in Jesus. But when was the last time you trembled before God? Boy, Isaiah did. He trembled before God. He fell down on his face and he said, woe is me. Psalm 100. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter to his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. You see the, the extreme of you've got bowing down and trembling before the Lord and you've got giving praise to God and entering into his gates with thanksgiving because we're so excited for who he is. All of these psalms talk about participating in worship, being a part of worship, using our, our lives to worship, using our bodies to worship, using our voices to worship. In fact, we're not just encouraged to worship, we're Commanded to worship. The psalmist seems to declare, since you are created to worship, worship. Stop just sitting there. Stop just going through the motions. Stop just going through life. But worship the Lord with all that you are. Now, does this mean that we go around all day singing a song? I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it, J-O-Y. Would that bring honor to the Lord? No, that just make you look insane. That doesn't mean you go around singing all day. That, that wouldn't display God's glory. But, but our lives should be filled with worship, shouldn't they? I bet when you walked outside yesterday or today, you said, man, what a beautiful day it is. And you said, Lord, thank you for creating such a gorgeous day. I'm going to be outside. I'm going to play in my flower beds. I'm going to rake some pine straw. I'm going to get out and enjoy your beautiful world. That was worship. You probably told somebody else, like the prayer group this morning did when they came into my office and they said, wasn't it a beautiful day? That's worship. You go into your office and you pray. You sit alone with the Bible and read God's word. You hum a, a favorite hymn or song. That's participating in worship, worshiping all the time. I'd encourage you in church to participate in worship. Be active while you're listening to a message. Take notes, write things down. You may never look at them again, and then you may, when you're reading back through your Bible, find a note that you made, and it'll bless you. It'll take you right back to that particular service and what God did on that day, and you'll be able to worship God again for what he did. I'd encourage you to, when people pray, that you pray along with them, that you agree in prayer with what they are saying. I'd encourage you also to, when you sing, to sing. You know, I picked on my dad earlier in the service, so I thought I'd better honor him as well. My dad, well, this is kind of pick and honor. My dad loved to sing. Now, he couldn't, but he loved to sing. Now, Jackie and Anita Hathorn sat in front of mom and dad sometimes, so they could probably testify to daddy 
could not sing. But he sang with the gusto of the hound dogs to victory in Jesus and how great thou art and whatever it is. And still to my day, I can picture myself leading worship in the old First Baptist Church of Lecount, seeing Dad on that pew and watching him just singing and thinking, my gosh, I hope nobody hears that. But he would sing with such just rapture because he loved to sing. I encourage you to sing. God doesn't care if you can, can sing. You, you know, we're not going to let you be in the choir. There's microphones up here. But sing. God says make a joyful noise to the Lord. You don't have to sing like a bird. God created bullfrogs and donkeys too. So y'all just let it out. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Participate in worship. We should participate in worship because we were created to worship. And it's also a testimony to those around us that we love this God we're talking about. We don't just go to church to go through the motions or to make connections with people or to just hang out and spend a couple hours on Sunday. We go to worship to worship our almighty God whom we love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And so that way when people around us are in worship and they're a lost person, they say, man, that's incredible. They're, they're serious about this. You know, they're as serious about this Jesus stuff as, as I am about LSU football. They're, they're as serious about this as I am about NASCAR. They're as serious about this as I am. And they see it in our faces. And they hear it in our singing. We must participate in worship. Third, we can align ourselves with God's priority of worship by helping others to worship. Now, I've already said if you can't sing, don't sing in the choir. So I'm not talking about leading worship. I'm not talking about being an instrumentalist or a music leader or a choir member or in the video and and audio helping, helping people to worship in that way. What I'm talking about is evangelism and missions here. Say, participating in worship and aligning ourselves with God's mission by evangelism and missions? What's that do with helping others to worship? Well, God's priority is that all people will come to worship. Philippians 2, verse 9 and 11, we have that picture in that great hymn of the early church about Christ. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's picturing a day when everyone, even the demons in hell, will say, yes, he is Lord. But what we want there to be is only demons and Satan in hell, not a bunch of human beings who had an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ and could be in heaven with us worshiping him. That's the goal that God has, that everyone would worship. He's willing that none should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. Well, you keep that in mind, and then you go to Romans chapter 10. Back to Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. And we have that challenge that says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
The point is this. One worshiper needs to find another person who they can help to worship Almighty God. You see, we we human beings are kind of strange creatures. We all worship something. You go back, we were created to worship, so it's innate within us to worship something. Even a heathen worships something. They might worship themselves. They might worship a career. They might worship money. They might worship their hobby. They might worship their family. They might worship worship. They might worship God. They might worship an idol. But everyone worships something. Our task as believers and followers of the one true God is to take those who are worshiping a false God and to help them to meet and worship the one true God. That's how we help others to worship. Someone has said, missions exist because worship doesn't. When I first heard that statement, and I don't remember who said it or where I read it, but I I stopped. Missions exist because worship does not. The Bible declares, makes it pretty clear that we are going to worship Almighty God forever and ever and ever. There's not going to be any more missions or evangelism. The time for that's going to have passed. So missions exist because worship does not. There are those in this world who are not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So missions exist to help them to worship. Through this offering of the Easter offering for North American missions, we gather money to help support 5,300 missionaries who will go and help people to worship. Now, we can't go everywhere in North America. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. But we can help others who can take the time and have the resources. We send out missionaries because we want to help people know God so they can worship God as they were created to. We want them to realize their true potential in Christ. We want them to realize their true purpose. And they can only do that if they have Jesus Christ in their heart. And if they are experiencing Him in worship. Missions exist because worship does not. Now here's how it all connects together. Worship demonstrates our love relationship with God. Missions and evangelism grow out of that love relationship with God, don't they? We worship, we witness because we worship. We witness of Jesus Christ because He is our Lord and Savior and we want others to know about that. And we want to share him with others. Here's what happens. A person with a vibrant relationship with God will not have to be begged, pleaded, pushed, and shoved to share Jesus Christ in their life. Because they're encountering God in worship, they know God, they know how good it is with God, they want others to experience that. Likewise, a church that has vibrant worship will not have to be begged and pushed and and encouraged to get out of the doors and share the gospel because when they come together, they experience God and they say, man, that was great. I experienced the Lord today. I want somebody else here next week to do that with me. And they go out and they share and they bring people back. And God's house grows and God's name is glorified. Rebecca and I, on Friday night, we went over to... Louisiana College and 
uh, to the football celebration. It went rather long, and we were thirsty and hungry. So we stopped at McDonald's like teenagers and got a Coke and an apple pie. Just sat there and talked a while, and we were talking about church and life and everything. And I told her, I said, you know, Rebecca, I've been thinking. I'm tired of preaching to empty pews. There's like eight people up in the balcony this morning. There's a bunch of empty pews. I'm tired of preaching empty pews. I think I'm going to go into church some Sunday, and I'm going to say, I'm preaching today. And then here's the challenge. All of you are to go out and to get somebody else and bring back next week. And if we don't have double the attendance next week, then I'm not preaching. We're going to go back out and do that. She went, really? I said, yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm too chicken to do that just yet. But really, isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to go get them and tell them about Christ. And bring them in here so they can experience what we experience. Because we worship, we witness. I believe with all my heart that when we fully grasp God's vision for world redemption, we will fully grasp the priority of worship for ourselves, for our church, and for the world. We will not take our worship for granted. We will not approach worship flippantly. We will worship in spirit and in truth. We will center our mind's attention on the Lord. We'll get all of the other distractions out of the way and we will focus on the Lord, humbly glorifying him in response to his greatness and his word. We will encounter him like never before. And truly, when we experience that, our word to everyone in here and everyone out there will be what we're going to sing in just a minute, which is, without him, I could do nothing. Friend, without him, I'd fail. I'd be like a ship drifting without a sail. And then we'd start pleading with him, oh, Jesus, do you know him today? Don't turn him away. Jesus is where it's at because I'm telling you, without him, how lost I would be. Oh, you think I'm a stately oak, then I've weathered the storms and I I can go through all these things and I've lived hundred years with Jesus. Well, let me tell you, it only comes because of Jesus. Without him, how lost I would be. I wonder this morning, are you a true worshiper of Jesus Christ? That means two things. One, as a Christian, are you a true worshiper of Jesus Christ? Are you participating in worship? Have you really realized that you were created to worship? Have you also realized that you need to help others to worship? question can also go another are you a true worshiper of christ do you know christ those who know him best worship him most but if you don't know him how can you worship him there are those in this room today who have yet to receive jesus christ as their lord and savior i'm convinced of that convinced that every time we come together there's one or more who have yet to receive jesus christ as their lord and savior As a church, as your pastor, we and I, we want you to experience Christ. We want you to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We want Him to be the center of your life for you to enjoy the priority and the privilege of worship. 
So if you're here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I encourage you to do that today. Stop worshiping all the other things. That's why you're unfulfilled. That's why you're searching for the next feel-good thing that and fix. It's because nothing satisfies like Jesus Christ. The choice is placed before us all as it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We can either choose to obey or we can choose to disobey. God puts that choice in our court. It's part of how he made us and it's because he wants us to choose to worship him, not to be forced to worship him. And so I challenge you today. Will you follow him or will you turn aside and go in a different direction? May we pray together. Lord, we're challenged today by your word and the challenge of the priority of worship. Lord, I admit the times when I have not kept you in the center of worship and I've been distracted by other things. Lord, today we come before you and we center ourselves upon you. Not on anything but you. And Holy Spirit, right now we turn our ears to hear your voice and to know what it is you're trying to speak to us. For those who are lost, I pray they will receive you. For believers who just haven't tapped into all worship is, I pray that they would tap into that fountain of life that comes through you. Lord, may we see you as you are and may our response be as Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. Do to me what you want. I'm here, God. Lord Jesus, challenge me. Our Father, we come before you this day and we come into your presence. Casting all of the distractions aside and declaring that we need you. That without you, we would be nothing. Without you, we'd fall flat on our faces. And that, God, today we want you like never before. And so, Lord, we pray this day that you would move in this time of response. Help those who need to step forward to step forward. For those whose hearts need to be open, that their hearts would be open. Lord, may you move. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.